0: Welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in the performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-Reorg in the European and CMEA markets. It's Tuesday, September the 13th. I'm Caterina D'Assier.
1: And I'm Richard Woolley. Coming up this week, Deputy Editor Aurelia Siedelhofer talks about how hybrid bonds issued by Nordic real estate companies are attracting investors' attention. Credit analyst Cedric Cassan explores why, with a large share of high-yield bonds trading well below par, bond buybacks have become a key tool for companies to opportunistically reduce their debt. And senior editor Magnus Sherman discusses the impact of the IMF's three-year 1.3 billion loan package to Zambia, and the concerns of the sovereign's creditors. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing.
0: Aurelia, you and our analyst Shenda have been doing some research on the Nordic real estate sector in the last few weeks, as hybrid instruments of some issuers have traded down lately and have become interesting for some funds. What are these developments
2: driven by? Hi, Katrina. Yes, so over the last few months there's been a bit of a slowdown in the Nordic real estate market. So, for example, in Sweden the average cost of an apartment was uh, 4% lower than in July, than in the previous month and the Swedish bank Swedbank um, also said it expects house prices to fall about 15% overall from the peak seen in February 2022 to reach a low point in the second half of 2023. And in other Nordic regions like Norway and Finland or Denmark Um, We have just seen slower growth um, in house prices uh, so far, but many people expect the situation to become worse over the next few months.
0: And what is this slowdown mainly driven by?
2: It's not really surprising uh, elements really, it's uh, driven by macroeconomic developments and uh, rising interest rate increases seen by many central banks and people expect that um, Higher interest costs will dampen demand among buyers. And of course, this had an impact on equity prices across some of these Nordic real estate names like Balder, Heimstaden, and SBB.
0: But people seem to mostly focus on hybrid bonds. Can you explain a bit more about what they are?
2: Yeah, so this is very interesting. These instruments, which are normally perpetual bonds or bonds with long-term maturities of 60 years or more, They have been used by a few issuers in the Nordic real estate market and especially um, SBB, Heimstaden, and Balder. And uh, that's also why we've been hearing these names a lot. And uh, these bonds, they are usually um, callable at par uh, over the next few years. And if you look at the yield to call, they are much higher now than than historically, obviously, um, which makes it very interesting for some investors. So why are these hybrid bonds so interesting in the market? Um, Previously, um, in a low interest environment, these bonds were attractive for these real estate companies because they provide a great flexibility when it comes to covenants. But of course, they are compared to bank financing, for example, a bit more expensive. However, in a low interest uh, rate environment, that's less of a consideration, of course. And another advantage of this financing was that rating agencies treat these instruments as a mix of debt and equity. So um, it was better for the company's leverage. um, But if you imagine that all these companies would move their hybrid debt into bank debt, then they would be um, much more debt and an increase in leverage and maybe some adverse rating actions as well.
0: And Aurelia, what's the situation now?
2: Yeah, so with these hybrid bonds, the situation is that some investors are now worried that these companies will not call the bonds at these upcoming call dates, which uh, historically has always happened. And this expectation puts pressure on these bonds, um, but on the other hand also offers um, an attractive yield. So a lot of funds are looking at this uh, to assess the likelihood of these bonds being called and also, of course, you know, the risk associated with investing in these bonds at the moment.
0: So why would a company not call the bonds at the moment?
2: Yeah, so in the current environment, uh, they would likely have to pay a higher coupon, of course, if they refinance them right now. So that makes this option a bit less attractive. But it's not really so easy because on the other hand, you could argue that not calling them would probably send a negative signal to the market which then could affect other parts of the capital structure and also many of these hybrid bonds feature coupon step-ups if they're not called at call dates and after the call dates the fixed coupon rate would sometimes turn to floating so that would be an incentive to um to call them and among these bonds, these hybrid bonds, um, investors are particularly focused on our 350 million note due 2078, which is issued by Balder and has a first call date on March the 7th, 2023, so relatively um, soon. It's quoted in the high 80s at the moment, and that means the yield to call is in the 30 percent range. So some investors I spoke to said that they think the company may not call this bond, as uh, Balder in particular is less reliant on hybrid capital compared to peers like Heimstaden and Isbb. Um, so th- that would afford them, you know, to to maybe not call it without too many repercussions. Um, but on the other other people I spoke to, they disagreed with this view, and they said. Um, They they would likely call it uh, because, again, there could be a negative effect on the capital structure and also they highlighted that the company actually recently announced a tender offer to repurchase some of the hybrid bonds, which they view as positive and a commitment to investors.
0: And uh, what are key concerns um, are there among investors about the sectors and do you think we are likely to see some restructuring cases?
2: No, I don't think at the moment that people are expecting any of these larger real estate names we mentioned like Balder, Heimstad and SVP or even Citicon to enter restructuring discussions or go into insolvency or anything like that. Um, of course, if you look at the re- residential real estate segment uh, in the Nordics especially, People often say that the rental income is very stable in this region as they are very good welfare states and you know people get help uh, if they struggle to pay the rent and if you look at commercial real estate it's maybe a slightly different story but overall you know uh, this is not seen as something that would uh, become really difficult um, to collect rent really but of course on the other hand um, there will be a negative impact as discussed from the rising interest rates. And what we've also observed lately is that many real estate companies have actually started to sell assets to improve their liquidity and reduce debt. But if you think about that, of course, if more people sell, then that puts more pressure on real estate prices because there are fewer buyers. So overall, a lot of people expect worsening credit metrics um, in this segment. And Another concern separate to that, which is quite specific to the Nordic Nordic real estate sector, is that the ownership structure is quite complex. So sometimes there are certain individuals that uh, that have investments in several real estate companies or you have real estate companies that have equity investments in other real estate companies. So it becomes a bit um, intransparent uh, to the extent to know how much um, these companies can expect uh, support from their owners, really.
0: In a piece that reorg just published, we've discussed bond buybacks across sectors from a financial but also covenants covenant standpoint. Cedric, could you briefly summarize what is discussed in this report?
3: Sure cat, and thanks for having me on this podcast. Essentially, with the market turmoil and a large share of high yield bonds trading well below par, a large number of issuers have launched or are considering launching bond buybacks. Against that backdrop, investors are actively trying to identify the issuers in the best position to execute such transactions. So in this piece just published, we are looking at the different ways that companies can repurchase their debt, why it would make sense for them and what type of issuers are most likely to do so in the current environment. We are also discussing some issuers directly or indirectly affected by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and international sanctions.
0: And before we get into specific issuers, uh, can you tell us uh, what are the tools available to companies to buy back their notes and what are the pros and cons of each?
3: Yes, so the most straightforward tool for companies is open market purchases. Those are privately negotiated transactions for some, not all, but for some of the bonds. Disclosure requirements to the market are relatively limited and there is no documentation requirement. The price is also privately negotiated. The transaction is executed between two dealers, one mandated by the issuer and one mandated by the seller. As a result, the sellers of the bonds will not typically be aware who is behind the trade. On the other hand, tender offers, it's an offer from the issuer to all bondholders to repurchase all or a proportion of the bonds, and at a price that is applicable to all bondholders. Bondholders are not obligated to participate, and in fact, they are unlikely to do so if the offer is not viewed as attractive, i.e. below par. Tender offers, as opposed to open market purchases, have also the disadvantage of being much more regulated with more requirements on documentation, on communication, on timing. They also involve more investment banks, acting as dealer managers, information and tender agents, and securities depositories. Overall, it's a much more costly process. There is, however, a limit on how much of the bonds can be bought on the open market without triggering a tender offer. Because of of a number of rulings in the US, it's typically held that buybacks through open market purchases should be limited to 25% of the notes. From a covenant standpoint, it's also important to flag that debt held by an issuer or an affiliate is often subject to limitations on voting, including for waivers and consents.
0: Okay, thanks for that uh, Cédric. But um, what type of companies are most likely to execute uh, such transactions?
3: Well, starting from the high end of the credit quality spectrum, it's obviously the high quality issuers with strong liquidity and targeting an improvement of their credit ratings, I would say. By doing so, they reduce their gross debt and future interest payments. Also, if executed below par, buyback, buybacks are also beneficial to net debt positions. At the other hand of the spectrum, underperforming credits, with shareholders or sponsors alike, they have also used opportunistically bond buybacks to fix capital structures or even, or even influence the outcome of a debt restructuring. The most publicized case has been probably Pizza Express, in 2019, with its sponsor buying a, a majority stake in the junior senior notes. Somewhat in between those two, those two type of companies, there are companies which have excess cash and using buybacks as an opportunistic liability uh, management exercise.
0: Okay, and today, who are the issuers which could see a buyback as an attractive uh, proposal?
3: We would say, uh, I would say, in the oil and gas sector, for instance. Companies are currently experiencing booming profit and strong cash flows. It's a similar situation in shipping on the back of high freight rates. And in the real estate space, bonds have come under pressure due to concerns over rising interest rates. But some of those companies in in the real estate sector have strong order books, high cash visibility and relatively low leverage. Based on that, we, we identified issuers like the Norwegian companies DNO but also Aker BP, BW Offshore, the Greek company Motor Oil Hellas. In real estate we have identified Via Celere and Nainor homes. Among the auto sector we identified UK manufacturer Jaguar Land Rover, the Norwegian auto parts supplier Kongsberg, but also the Danish company Norican. And in, in the industrial space, we are also flagging the British flooring business Victoria, the German company SGL Carbon, but also the Italian paper company Progest.
0: And how did you come up with this uh, list of issuers?
3: Well, essentially, we assessed companies' liquidity by looking at the cash the, at the cash holding versus the gross debt. We also looked at the cash generation projections and more, more generally their business and financial outlooks. We crossed those qualitative metrics with bond prices to get a reasonable sample of potential candidates. The last step was to get an understanding of man- management point of views on current and future leverage and the opportunity of buying back bonds.
0: Thank you Cédric for sharing with us those valuable bits of information. Your subscribers can of course read the full report on the website or in their mailbox.
1: Zambia's public finances have been distressed since 2019, and the nation defaulted on its Eurobonds in November 2020. Recently, though, the IMF has approved a three-year $1.3 billion loan package to Zambia. Earlier today, I asked our senior editor, Magnus Sherman, what that
4: means for the country. Well, it means a couple of things for Zambia. This is a really important uh, development for the nation. Uh, in the short term, it'll allow the Ministry of Finance to clear some of the arrears. These are pension payments to um, state employees and the purchase of important medicine and, and certain food programs. Zambia uh, is still a quite um, poor country, so they had fallen behind on some of these um, some of these payments, which of course, are really important for the local population. Um, for the longer term, this is a very important development for Zambia's creditors, who had been waiting um, for Zambia to uh, to engage with the IMF, so that um, because under an IMF program like this, uh, the creditor, oh sorry, the the debtor. Uh, commits to a number of reforms. In this case, Zambia has committed to a, a long list of reforms that will help convince creditors to recommit to the country's um, capital or to the to the bonds they have outstanding. For instance, there's about three billion uh, U.S. dollars of uh, of Zambian euro bonds, and it also uh, unlocks the next step in the debt restructuring. Uh, The IMF said in a presentation uh, earlier this month that they expect Zambia to to secure cash debt relief to the tune of $8.4 billion over the next three years through 2025. So some of that will have to come from the bonds and some of that will have to come from... The uh, the approximately fifteen billion of uh, bilateral um, credits with with external creditors outside of Zambia, uh, and of course some of the um, some of the locals may may have adjustments as well. Um, but it it's now uh, in the phase where bondholders um, are analysing the findings that the. Uh, the IMF concluded uh, at the start of this month. And um, and the next step, really, which um, which is what we are waiting for, is what Zambia is going to propose in terms of the, the debt restructuring. Um, because it's a sovereign restructuring, there are fewer options than in a, in a corporate situation. Um, you, you can't equitize, for instance, so... The options you have on the table are really um an exchange offer possibly with a haircut of some sort um extension of maturities and then possibly tweaks to um to the coupons paid on um, on the bonds these bonds are now quoted uh, about uh, at around 58 cents on the dollar and um, they've had a, an interesting development because Zambia's economy is so closely connected to the uh, international price of copper. They are a massive producer of, of copper. So actually, after Zambia's uh, default in November 2020, uh, interestingly, the bonds went up in price because copper increased in value as um, economies snapped back from, from COVID. And um, since then, they have come down as the price of copper also fell. And, and that they've now sort of stabilized at this level around the mid-50s. And there's a large bondholder group holding uh, just below 50% of the bonds, so clearly a, a, a blocking stake. Um, and that, that group is advised by New State Partners and Wild Got Shell. So, um, so Sambia last week said on a, on a call with creditors that uh, they aim to um, actually conclude an agreement uh, by the end of this year. So that really means getting something uh, proposed very, very soon because these things um, have a tendency to drag out. There's a lot of interested parties and a lot of creditors. Um, so uh, we expect something uh, in the coming weeks from, from Zambia.
1: Earlier today, senior legal analyst Shankar hosted a webinar to discuss the first use of the Part 26A restructuring plan in the SME market by Houst Limited with advisors on the deal. The panel looked at cramdown with respect to the UK tax authority and explored the interaction between the allocation of a restructuring surplus and the relevant alternative order of priorities. Panelists also explored how the English courts are becoming pragmatic when it comes to SMEs using the restructuring plan and asked whether we may see more creative deals in the future. Subscribers can access a replay on the re website now and it will be available for non-subscribers later in the week. In November, Deal Catalyst's Specialist Lender Forum on Private Credit Finance takes place in London and is free to attend for specialist lenders and investors. If neither of these applies to you, Reorg has managed to secure you a 20% discount, saving £400 on the standard ticket price, which you can use if you go to the Deal Catalyst website and enter the promotional code REORGPOD. More information on all of the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Real Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week, and thank you very much for listening.